Good morning. Take a seat. Get comfortable. How are you? Um, I just, I'm good. I, I, just a word to the, for the wise. Um, eating half of an apple fritter two minutes before singing, not a good choice. We blame you, Mike. Uh, yeah. So would have been fine if it was an old fashioned, but there's no old fashions in there. So you gotta get him an old fashioned, one old fashioned. One, he loves old fashions. But you did. So you gotta get two. No. I just. Thank you, thank you for bringing donuts every single week. We are kind of, we are kind of the donut church. Yeah. You know, we do those donut days regularly. It's we just want to spread joy. I remember that that from the uh, from the colony days a couple months ago, where they just a, a non-Christian, just a random community member said, "You guys just like to bring joy to the community." Yeah, that's right. Ultimately, that's the joy of Jesus, though, right? Yeah. So hopefully, you're having a great time. It was it's fall is here now, isn't it? Some of you are clapping. Yeah. Some of you are like, eh. uh. <laughs> I I am working very hard this year. To embrace the darkness. <laughs> we got to find new language for you, but uh, it's, uh, embrace the context, winter, context, the winter yeah. of the winter that is Oregon. That it's dark and it's rainy and cold. Yeah. So I um, I worked on cruise ships, you know, for a couple of years. Yeah. And when you're down uh, in the Caribbean. It's 70 degrees every day. Yeah. The sun goes down at the same time and comes up at the same time. It is so boring. I, it, trust me. I know. I know what you're thinking. Oh, that would be the oh, kind. That's the hard. kind of boring I want. At some point, you're like, it would be great if there was snow. It would be great if it rained a little bit. You know. Now I've thought a lot about this. Yeah. Are you? Is that a shock? No. I think it would be great. If winter was like two weeks, you know, where it just snowed and was just dumped for two weeks and then went back to spring. Wouldn't could, that be great? I could do that, yeah. Right? Then you can enjoy the, 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 the whole wintry thing, but then it just doesn't go on and on and on. I know. <laughs> I would live in Arizona. You would live in Alaska. <laughs> All right, enough of that. Hey, do we have announcements? Pet costume contest. Hey, here's the big thing. Um, we've had a lot of, um, of uh, entries, and um, we're going to be giving out prizes. I think, I believe we are, um, but, but you only got till Saturday to, to, to put them in because we're almost done with the month. I know. Can you believe that? So if you have a pet, send it in. and uh, Send a photo of the pet. Don't send the pet. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> it's rattling in there. Okay. Ugh. All right. Any other? Any other? Next. All church prayer meeting is, I think, is that this Tuesday? This Tuesday at the church. Um, here's the thing. You don't even have to pray if you're there. You just have to be there and in spirit, or you can join us on Zoom. And it is such an encouragement for those people who are there and who are, who are here at the church and praying, knowing that there are other people who are just, even if they're just listening in and in, in their own hearts and minds going amen to, to what you're doing. So um, just set aside, you know, a little time on Tuesday. 
you, you don't have to drive to the church. There will be a Zoom link that's sent out. Come join us on, uh, on, on Tuesday at 6.30. Yes? Oh, I thought you put your finger up. Next. Shop Talk on um, this Saturday at, uh, at, the, uh, at Biscuits in, uh, in Canby. The men are getting together for, uh, you can just have coffee if you want. If not, um, we're going to be, uh, you can have breakfast, but we're going to be sitting there just talking about a variety of issues that you're, you want to talk about. You want to talk about sports? Do you want to talk about Frisbee golf? Soccer? Yeah. yeah? Whatever it is. Or, you know, a variety of topics. Just come and hang out. It's just a time to get together with other guys and just talk about life. Um, this coming Saturday, 8 a.m., can be uh, biscuits. Um, next. Craft and Gather, that's the 20, is that next Saturday? When is that? Next Saturday here at the church at 10 o'clock. And it, it's $10, right? One o'clock, $10. Oh, they're painting. That's right. We haven't done one of those in a long time, have we? What they do is, is this is for people who don't know how to paint, and yet you kind of would like to paint. But they, we, we have these little canvases, and there's a person that will that, they'll walk us through this, this tutorial of you get this color, and you do this sort of thing. It's really kind of fun, honestly. I don't paint, and I could actually make something that sort of looks a little bit like what she's trying to get us to do. So it's a lot of fun. If you've never done one of those. Um, next. Yes. Oh, is, is there an age limit? I don't think there's an age. Okay. No. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Is it? Yeah. Okay. Next. Is that all of them? That's all of them. Okay. We had a great time last Saturday with the uh, Frisbee golf. I had a great time on Sunday. Sunday. Last Sunday. Last Sunday. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. We try to provide these kind of events, the craft and gathers. The, uh, the, the Frisbee golf and stuff so that you guys can invite your friends to it so you can develop relationships with, with the people in your community, people at work, so that you'll have the, 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 the right, the, the, the platform to be able to share Jesus with them because that's how people come to faith today is through personal relationships. So take advantage of these. Take advantage of the craft and gathers. Take advantage of the, of the, uh, the things like the men's breakfast, the, the shop talk because they're not going. They're not going to come to faith if they never actually. You don't actually get to know them, and they don't get to know you. And these are perfectly low-key events to, to, for you to develop relationships with them. And I, I'm just going to add real quick. Like Sam really enjoyed kind of being able to help and facilitate yes. some of that stuff. You know, and he's a 14-year-old, so you know, church isn't necessarily where he wants to be. But, when, but hanging out with people is kind of a way to draw exactly. young people back a little bit without exactly. dragging them. And exactly. um, so just want to encourage us as a church to continue to do things like that where we get to invite people right. um, you know, of all Non-threatening. Ages. Yeah. Perfect. So the crafting gathers and all these different events that we do. Um, so today we're going to be, uh, we're moving on to, to the, our next topic in our series, and this one is the Bible anti-science. And, um, and, and, and my basic point I'm going to end up telling us is, if God really is the creator, then there can't be. There can't be. And we'll look at, look at some of that stuff and get, help you guys not stumble over the science issue um, when it comes to the Bible and your faith. All right? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the day, and we thank you for this opportunity to, to be in your presence and to worship you. We pray for your spirit to be among us, 
that we would hear your voice both in the, in the, the songs and in the conversations, but also, Lord Jesus, um, in, the, in the sermon. Lord, help us to, to, to worship you as you deserve. You, you've created all things. All things exist and, and have their being because of you. And because of that, you are worthy, worthy, worthy of all glory, power, honor, and praise. You alone are the creator. You alone are deserved to be worshiped. And beyond that, you have redeemed us. You've, you, you, you've saved us from ourselves, from our own sin and, and messed up. And you've, you've given us a hope. You're restoring our meaning of our lives back to, to how you originally intended it to be. Your blessings are, are, are far greater than we can imagine. Help us to worship you. Father, in this, in this morning, I, I ask that we all have the courage to, when, in our conversations with you, to ask for what we need and, and not what we want, to recognize that there are places in us that, that, that uh, need strengthening and um, there are things that we know that we need that we don't want and help us to accept that. Thank you, Father. God, I hope this doesn't sound silly, but um, thank you for always picking up the phone. Um, I, I think about my own failures to communicate with the people that I love. It's really easy to just not pick up the phone when we don't want to be bothered, and yet you always pick up the phone. You're always there. You always hear us. You never shut us down. Lord, thank you that you care enough for us that you never cease to pour blessings on us, to be present for us. Father, may we be present this morning, that we hear. May we be present and listen, not just here, but in our relationships with others, because even one moment of listening can open up opportunities for people to know you better. Thank you, Father. Is it on? There we go. Yeah. All right. Today's topic is the Bible anti-science. There we go. Things are a little loose. Is the Bible anti-science? Um, as I'll say, as I've been thinking about this with Joe over the last couple of weeks, a lot of these topics, whether we're talking about women issues or the slave issue, <laughs> issues, concerns. <laughs> okay, this is completely soft. Okay, be nice to pastors. 
and anybody who speaks all the time in their life, because you can't speak all the time and not say something that you're like, oh, that's not how I'm intended it to come out, okay? <laughs> Be graceful, because they're like, in fact, there's a proverb that says that where many words, sin is not absent. You can't not talk for a living and say something that's like, oh, that's not how I intended. If I did not intend it to sound like it's an issue, it's a concern. Does that make sense? All right, back to the topic. As we were saying, as I was saying, all of these concerns, whether like it's slavery or how the law works or, or, or in today's science, for some people, this, th these are huge issues, gigantic things. And, and as, as we go back in the next, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about violence in, the old, violence in the Bible. We're going to be talking about, you know, how there's only one way of salvation. These are giant issues for some people, and for other people, it's not an issue at all. So if this is, issue, this is for you today, if this is an issue. But it also, it's, some of you, it's like, you need to know so you can help people who do have this concern. Okay. Is the Bible anti-science? Let's pray. Father God, help me to pray. Help me to communicate clearly. Help me to help us to think well. And um, Lord, we want to honor your word. We want to honor um, the truth that you have put forward for us. Help us to think, Jesus. Open our hearts to hear your voice. And for me to communicate what you want me to say in your pray in your name I pray amen so here's the first point I want to make the Bible the point of the Bible is not science it's not a science book second Timothy you have been taught talk, this is Paul talking to Timothy you Timothy have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood so he's talking about the scriptures right and what do they do? They have given you the wisdom to receive salvation that comes by trusting Jesus for all scripture is inspired by God and is useful for it to teach us what is true and what and to help us realize what's wrong with our lives and corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what's right. So here, here, here's pretty much what it means. What are the scriptures for? So you know who God is so you could be right with God and live rightly. That's the point. Now does it say things about science? Well, well yes. But remember, the point of Scripture is not to, it's, it's not a physics book. They have a different agenda, okay? But, if the Bible is true, and there really is a creator, as we're going to spend a lot of time looking at today, Genesis 1-1 says, there's a creator, create all things, and there is a God, then either science is wrong or our understanding of Scripture is wrong. Because there can't be a contradiction. There can't be. If God actually made everything and the Bible is true, then it has to match. Now, I gr granted, that's a presupposition. That's a supposition that the Bible is true. But if, that is, if, we, if that's the case, then there can't be a conflict. Because God created what, we're, what science is trying to describe. Especially when you take into account like worldview of the writer, when you take in uh, the use of observational language, not scientific language. And let me just take a moment and, and, and explain what I mean by those two things. 
Like, for example, we say the sun goes down in the evening. But we know scientifically that's not what's happening. The sun is not setting. We're spinning away from it, right? But it's still, it, so we use observational language to describe something that we all know what's happening. And from one perspective, that's a true statement. It is going down. Or the foundations of the earth. There is foundation. Now, we, we know we're talking about a ball, and then on, from, from on top of the ball, there, there's, there's, there's rock, and there's magma, and then there's the core, right? But from, from one perspective, everything is sitting on top of rock, just like a house sits on a foundation. There's a foundation, right? So from, 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 a, from an observational point of view, that's, it mean, that's what it means. Now, of course, you could... You could you know, people are going to be able to quibble about the fact that that's not what's being talked about here. That they're saying that, that the earth is flat and there's all, you know, and it's just, there's just this big rock and it's floating in space. Well, yeah, maybe that was their, their worldview of the day, but it doesn't mean the scripture's wrong. They're using estimates. They're using observational language. Metaphors that the day of the, that at the time made sense to them to communicate the truth that God's talking about. But having said all of this, it is, a, it is not true that you, can be a scient, that you can't be a scientist and, and be a Christian. There's a lot of leading scientists who are Christians. A lot. I have a little video. Hopefully it actually translates well. Mark, you may have to deal with the sound. I don't know. Um, let's see how this goes. Realize that a scientist can't believe in God, right? See, that's a skeptic talking. Oh, sure. Well, apart from Francis Bacon, the founder of the scientific method, he was a devout Christian. Well, yeah. And Johannes Kepler, who discovered the laws of planetary motion. Really? And so were Boyle, Newton and Pascal, actually. Well, maybe there were a few. Actually, that was just the 17th century. Then you've got Leibniz, Lavoisier, Linnaeus in the 18th, Faraday, Maxwell, Pasteur in the 19th. All right, but they were all in the past. Nowadays, scientists don't believe in God. Well, apart from people like astrophysicist George Ellis, AI pioneer Rosalind Picard, geneticist Francis Collins, who sequenced the entire human genome. What? They're all Christians? Yes, them and many more besides. In fact, belief in a creator who endowed an intelligible universe with order is what got the scientific revolution started. There's no conflict between science and faith. Follow me for more thinking faith. There's a lot of scientists. There's a, one of the theologians that I, that I particularly like. He, um, he, he relates the story, uh, uh, the, the name is uh, Michael Heiser. He, he relates the story that he was a, uh, in graduate school at, near his a, a big-time university. And in, in that graduate school, the, it, it really catered to, to grad students, the, the church that he was at. And, and you would think a lot of the, 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 the grad students there would be like in the humanities. No, but it was the very opposite. He said... He was like the only one in the humanities. All of them rest were in the hard scientists, the physicists and the geologists and all of that. They were the Christians. <laughs> I have a personal friend who has a physics degree and he's a strong Christian. So this, this, this belief that Christians are stupid or that Christians can't be scientists is just not true. It's just not true. Okay? Because either the science is wrong or our understanding of Scripture is wrong. 
But as I started to say, the issue, what this really gets to, along with the other issues, is, is what do you want? Because no matter what I say today, if you want to hold on to the idea that, Chris, Chris, that science and the Bible is in conflict, there's nothing I can do to communicate. I, I, can, I can stop you. If you want to hold on to that, that, that every argument won't make sense. You'll, you'll have a reason to dismiss it. The, the capacity for a human being to ignore facts should not be under, under, underestimated. <laughs> okay? Whether we're talking about religion especially, but, but everything from politics to who's a better this person or that, our ability to ignore facts is unparalleled. <laughs> okay? Because the ability for us to, to with our, the, the fact of a will involved in all this stuff is huge. Okay? So, but I'm speaking to you today that you, wanna, that you want to have some answers. How do I deal with this issue? Right? And what I want to do for, for, the, for the rest of the time is talk to probably the, the biggest issue is how do we deal with Genesis 1 1? Because this, this is the big one, right? The, the whole evolution piece that's, that's an assumption in our society today. Never mind the, you know, especially I'm sure I'm looking at my boys that, they, that I assume that in their classes this is not even a question. It's 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 it goes beyond theory at this point in for most classrooms. It's it's a given. It's about as true as as the sun sets in the morning. I mean, <laughs> there's a Freudian slip. Okay, but, but it's 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 beyond a theory. It's 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 a it's a it's an assumption. Never mind the fact that a lot of the major uh, high-level evolutionists in the last few decades um, quietly know that there's some significant issues with the theory. Um, a lot of issues. They know this. Never, never mind the, the fact that there's some of there's 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 a variety of scientists, even non-Christian ones, who are like, there's some real problems here. Okay, but it, but it takes a generation, just so you know, on on. The, the, the way it works is, is at the very highest level of, okay, I'm going to be doing some deep thinking today, guys, so be patient. I'll try to go slow. <laughs> That's what Bob told me to do. <laughs> okay, the way it works is, is at, at the highest level of academia, they will, they will take a generation or more to make a shift in their thinking on major issues, okay? But once they make that shift, it takes several generations later to get it down to the high school level because those, those academics have to teach a brand new set of college professors who will then teach a whole new set of high school t teachers. It takes a long time to get there. It doesn't just happen. Which is why, for example, a lot of what we're seeing kind of in our culture and intellectually, what's happening in our, in our world today, all of that is the fruit of what happened in the 60s and the 50s. It takes that long to, for, for the ideas to trickle down to actual real life. So it's going to take a while for, for this. But there's also the issue of sometimes people, as I said a moment ago, they don't want to let go of certain viewpoints because they don't like the alternatives. But in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What does that mean, right? And as I said, if the Bible is true and God is the creator, either science is wrong or our understanding of Scripture. And that really what it gets down to all of it. This is the issue. 
either, either what science is saying is, is wrong or how we as Christians are understanding the scripture is off. It's one of the two. There can't be a conflict. So what I want to do is I want to walk through some of the options on how, people, how Christians have, have thought, how they've dealt with either the science is wrong or, or, or the scripture is wrong. And there, there's, we're going to boil it down. I mean, the book that we're going through gives you some, uh, some options, but here's a few more. Here, here's kind of, I'm mo- modifying it a little bit to come down to just a couple of them. And the first one is the Young Earth version. Um, Young Earth says that, um, oh, here's, here's all of the options right here. Young Earth, evolutionary creationist, appearance of age, and then there's a fourth one um, that's historical creationism. I'm going to say that one to the end because that's a little bit more complicated. But let's walk through this Young Earth one. Young Earth one is saying essentially most scientists, they, they, the, at least the mainstream scientists, they just they, they don't have a right. They don't have a right. And um, there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of other scientists in places like uh, the organization Answers in Genesis who have their own set of scientists who are saying, we're looking at the same data and we're coming to different conclusions than you are. Um, they say that it's a literal, historical, actual event and it's six 24-hour days. This is basically what they're saying. And so their answer to this issue is the science is wrong. The, average, the, the mainstream science is wrong. Um, our understanding of scripture is basically correct. And, and you need to stop trying to accommodate science because science is just simply wrong. Evolutionary creation, creationism. Um, they're saying that, that the classical understanding of the Bible is not correct. Um, that we need to read it as poetry or a figure of speech, um, that this is, this is not meant to be taken literally, um, and this is where you'll put in things like day as an age, each day in the days of creation is an age. Um, and part of this is, 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 is this movement of intelligent design, and some of the people involved with that would be somebody like a David Berlinsky, Stephen C. Meyer, and the intelligentdesign.org. And I put one of, the, one of the reasons why I put David Berlinsky in there is because he's, he's not a believer. At all, he's not a believer. He's not. He's not even a. Uh, he's not even a, 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 a. He's an agnostic. He's an agnostic. Brilliant guy, mathematician, and he says, "Remember, they, and I, I, I love list, I love listening to people who don't agree with me on some critical things and see what they have to say, whether it's politically or this." And David Belinsky is going like, "Mathematically, evolution has some significant problems. It can't work unless there's at least some kind of." designer shaping it, directing it, because it's not possible to do otherwise. He's saying mathematically, it just doesn't work otherwise. There, you know, it's the old illustration of that's trying to to, 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 to believe evolution doesn't have a designer is like trying to say that the alphabet, alphabet, throw the alphabet up in the air and it falls down and you got Moby Dick. It doesn't work. The mathematics, you can throw it up a billion times, it's still not going to work. The, 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 the number of, of times you're going to have to do that, it doesn't work. Um, so, it, you know, if, if, this is the, if this is where you are, this is fine. Um, and, 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 and these two things, you know, whether it's the young earth or, or that one or, or, or the one and the next one, it's like there are people who are very strong on either side and they have their arguments for it and it's fine. My, it's like the, the issue is what does the scripture say, though? And that's what we're struggling with. Um, another one is appearance of age. This was mine in college. Um, for me, um, it was, if God can build a rock, he can make a, he can make a, a billion-year-old rock. What's the difference? Right? 
I did, in other words, it's a little bit of punting the issue. Because for me, it just wasn't an issue in college. You have to figure, if you're a thinking Christian, you have to figure out what, how, what's your stance on Genesis 1. And for me, it was like, eh, if God wants to do it, it wants to do it by this method, What's the problem? I don't care. And, and there's, some, there's some good points with that, but, but there's a little bit of a, you know, you're ignoring the issue a little bit. Um, I can appreciate it. Um, but that's, but that's, those, those are the three that many, most people have heard of. Um, the gap, gap is in there too, but that's not quite the same. Um, but these are the three, three that probably, if I, as I look out, most of you are probably in one of these camps. Um, and... and like all of these issues, you should have strong discussions about it. These things matter on how you inter, inter, interpret scripture. What I'm just saying is, listen to each other. What is mine? Mine is this one, which is different than all of those, but it's much, it's much closer to um, the young earth theory in, in, in many respects. Its basic points are this, and then I'll walk through it. Um, that verse 1 is not a title, and it's not a summary, even though most of the time we look at it that way. And then verse 2 and following is six literal days, but what's happening here is they're preparing the promised land. Um, it's liter- it is literal, and it is history, um, and, and the value of this is it's focusing on the text and, and asking the question, why did Moses write it? Now, that's what it is. Now, let me, let me, I just wanted to say that. Now, why do I have this viewpoint? And the why do I have this viewpoint is because of this man right here, Dr. John Salehammer. And I, if you'll, you, you'll um, excuse me for a moment, I'm going to do a very long um, digression on who is this person, which has literally any of you heard of this man? Probably not. I assumed none of you have. And probably none of you have heard of historical creationism, have you? Have you guys? Probably not. Okay. John Salehammer. Who is John Salehammer? He's a scholar, but he's not just a scholar. And that's not a bad word, you, Christ, you evangelicals, okay? He's not just a scholar. He's a world-class generational scholar. What do I mean by world-class? Meaning in the evangelical world, people who hold the Bible very highly, he, is considered, he was, he's passed at the top, okay? But he was a generational one. And what I mean by generational is, for example, uh, for sports, um, Michael Jordan was a generational athlete that, that you, can, you can mark the history of, of basketball pre and post him because he makes such a big deal. Einstein is a generational scientist that, that his work is so significant that post that, that time, um, a lot of work is simply done in trying to understand what he said and how does, you know, what does that mean and what's the impact. He's that kind of a person in the world of Old Testament scholarship in the evangelical world. Um, he read Hebrew like, he read, like we read English. Let me tell you a brief story about him. I, I took a class from him once, and I remember um, he's sitting here, and he's talking about, I think it was in Numbers, and he's reading the text, and, he's, he, he, and, and a student raised their hand and said, um, Dr. Salehammer, wh- what version are you using? And he, go, he just kind of looked at him quizzically, and he goes, what do you mean? The Hebrew. He uses, used, this kind of a Bible that has no English in it. <laughs> it's only Hebrew, which, by the way, 
This is not the start of the Hebrew Bible. It reads this way. It's backwards because they read, back, they read backwards. There's no English in this. I don't know if you guys can see this. You can look at it afterwards. He, in other words, he, can read, he could read Hebrew like you and I read English. Better yet, like an English major can read English. And he wrote lots of books. He didn't read book, write little books. He wrote books like this. <laughs> With itty bitty tiny words and lots and lots of footnotes. This one's the meaning of the Pentateuch. He spent his entire life studying the first five of the books of the Bible. That was his job. That's what he did. This is not for the layman. I, can do, I, I took a history, I, I mean, I, I got a master's to be a pastor, and I took Hebrew. I can just barely get what's going on in this book. It takes a lot of work. This is written to scholars, not, not, not laymen. It's challenging reading. I get it, but I got to spend a lot of time trying to figure out what he's saying. This, so this, why, why am I saying all of this? Because I need you to understand why I, why I hold his view in such high esteem. He's not just another person talking about the Bible. And his view of Scripture is extraordinarily high. In fact, it's higher than probably almost most Christians. And what do I mean by that? Let me see if I can... Um, what do I mean by that? Um, well, let me, let, me, let me say this. For his view of Scripture is... The, for him, the issue is not whether science is right or wrong. For him, that's not the question. The question is, what does the text say? In fact, he's... He studied a lot of, of the Old Testament, and part of that study was asking this question, which is a little, this is where it's going to get really heady for a moment, and I'm sorry if that's the case, but I need you to get this. Um, I'm hoping you can get this. Where does Revelation lie? Where is it at? And which might seem, well, that's, what do you mean? Okay. This is what I mean by this. this that's the question he asked. For most of us, I don't have my Bible. We'll use this, the Hebrew Bible here. That's fine. This will be. This is a Bible too. Um, for most of us, we have. There's the text of the scripture, and we look at the, the the event itself, like say the crossing of the Red Sea, and we say, what does science say about that, and what does scripture say about? It? And we're trying to understand what is the what is the where is where is where does God's revelation at for you today? Is it in the historical events, or is it in the text? And that makes a big difference. Now, we, Salehammer and I am not saying these aren't real, literal events. Of course they are. Jesus literally rose from the dead. Jesus literally lived. Moses actually crossed the Red Sea. They're, they're not saying the events aren't real, but the issue is, is if, you're, if, you're, if, if the revelation of God is in the events and Scripture is merely a witness to that, there's implications. His view is it's more like this. I wish that would have been upside down. It's like me, I'm looking at the text to try and understand what, the, what, what the, the event was. This is where revelation is. And it makes a difference because science might help explain the event as a little bit, but science has no place in trying to tell you what Scripture means. Zero from his perspective. 
We're tr- we usually want to understand the event. He, and and Salehammer's like, no, 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 no. For today, the only place that you have actual revelation is here. Science might give you some information. And of course, this kind of a view is really helpful for apologetics, he would say. And I agree, because we, we as well as non-Christians, need to know that, there, that the Bible is talking about actual, literal events in real history. Yes. But we're not trying to ask the question, what is God telling us today? The only place to look is what does the text say? What does the text say? Here's, here, here, here's the problem if, if you see the text as the center and, and, and both, both scripture and science is trying to give you an answer to, to the event, is it forces you, it, it forces the Bible to answer questions that the writer never intended you to ask. That's not in there. It makes, it makes, it makes scripture become either a rebuttal to science or an accommodation. And in both cases, that's not what the text is trying to say. For example, what was the mother's name of the three little pigs? It doesn't tell you. Why? Because that's not, that's not in the story. The writer didn't think it was important to tell you what is in the, the, the story, the, the, the mother. Where is, where is the galaxy far, far away in Star Wars? It doesn't tell you. The movie doesn't tell you because that's not important to the story. That's not a question the story wants you to ask. So while the Bible does tell you things about science, it's not trying to tell you scientific things. Does it have an impact on how you read science? Sure. But that's not the point. You have to ask, what does the text say? And, and part of that problem is it can cause our, our worldview to be deeply affected by the Greek worldview and static trans- translations rather than just focusing on the text. And there's a whole lot in the book. Take the time to look at that. All right. Now, I'm pretty, all this long introduction to this, I help, help you understand why I, hold that, why I hold this man in such high esteem. Because he has extremely high view of Scripture and because the caliber of, 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 of scholar that he is. Okay? Now, if you don't agree with this one, that's fine. Um, as I'll say at the end, the point is there's some options here for you. Okay? But what is his? His is that it's not a title at the beginning in verse 1 it's, it's not, or a summary statement. It's something else. And then verse 2 and following are 6, 24 days. But what's happening is, is, is he's working with a particular plot of land, exp- getting ready for, for Adam and Eve to be there. It is literal history, and he's focusing on the, he focuses on the text. So as we look at this one, the main thing, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And there's a couple of pieces we can get out of this just by this. And it's, a part of it is there's a creator. There's one creator, which is already a rebuke. If you look at the, look at the context, which is part of what's going on in the book we're going through, he's, w- w- what is Moses trying to com- uh, contradict? the many gods in Egypt, where there's lots of different creation stories. And, and one of the things that Scripture says is there's one God who is a creator, and we can get this right here. And that he created heaven and earth. It's a merism, which means that it's 
It's, it's, a, it's, 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 it's a figure of speech that means top and bottom, all, that includes all things. So when we say A to Z, did you take care of everything? Yep, A to Z. What do we mean by that? Everything, right? So that's what this is. It, 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 it's a merism. It means God created everything. And he did so at the beginning. At the beginning. Well, one of the, 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 cons- the issues that we struggle with in, 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 in English, and because we, th- we have kind of a, a, a Greek worldview, is we think of that as a point of time. And it might be a point of time, but the point is, is it doesn't, it, 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 that's, not, not, that's not how that word is generally used in, in Scripture. And then finally, is it a t- title or summary state? We're just going to come back to that in a moment. So, so for example, here's, here's how the Bible uses that phrase. In the beginning, though your beginning was small, your latter days will be great. This is God talking to Job. Beginning, the, 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 the time of your life, Job, before the start of the story, was, eh, you were, you were a decent guy, but your latter days are going to be much more significant. And that's how it's generally used, both in, throughout the Old Testament, but also in Genesis. Well, that generally the beginning means just before the start of the story, which up to this point is not contradicting, by the way, the young earth viewpoint. It's just saying, at the beginning of the story, God made everything, and then from that point on, what is he doing? He's, he's, he's continuing to do some work. Um, Salehammer's view is like, okay, but it's not a point. It just means at the start of the story. Before we get really going into the story, God's made everything. Which, by the way, that has some really significant um, theological points, just so you know. It means that the Bible is very end times viewpoint from the very, 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 very beginning. It's forward looking. If there's, a, if there's beginning days, then there has to be latter days. If there's beginning of days, there's end of days. Even in Genesis itself, there's a, there, it, it, this phrase latter days shows up in Genesis 49. It's, it's that Moses, even then, is looking forward to the day of Jesus. That's part of the implication of this. If this is the beginning of the story, what's the end of the story? The end of the story comes with Jesus and following. So, one creator, heaven and earth, beginning. Now, next, here's the big piece. Is it a title or a summary statement? Here's the arguments that Salehammer makes that I agree with. it's it's, It's a complete sentence. It does not read like a normal title statement. A normal title statement, which we're going to look up in a moment, is in verse f- chapter 5, verse 1. That's what a normal title statement in the book of Genesis looks like. Um, and second, there's already a summary statement in verse 2-4. Why would you have two? Why have two? There's normally only one. And you'll see, we'll look at this there. Second, lastly, it's followed by a conjunction, which is actually a very significant point. Um, and then there's the create versus made, which is not that, in, that significant, but I wanted to put it up there because I'll because it's worth talking about. So in chapter 5, this is what a title statement usually looks like in Genesis. This is the record of the family line of Adam, and then it goes on. This is the record of. This is, this is the genealogy of. That's, that's what a title statement normally looks like in, in Genesis. It doesn't read the same. The Hebrew fr- t- uh, phraseology is significantly different. So this is one argument for it. Right? And there's a summary statement. This is, this is at the end of chapter 1, at the beginning of chapter 2, which, you know, chapter headings are, it was not, are, not, are not, um, not in the scripture. 
It's, it, it's something that we created to help to know where everything is. Okay, these are the, this is at the end of the creation account in chapter one. These are the generations of the heavens and earth when they were created. It's a summary. It's a clear summary. In the day that the Lord God made the heavens and the earth. So, it doesn't look like a normal title statement or a summary statement. So what's happening here, he would say. What's going on here? What's, what's going on? In the beginning, before the start of the story, God created everything, and then you have this little word, which is of significant importance, called, it's, it's a conjunction. Later on, in, 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 in this version, it's, now the earth was without shape and empty. That little word um, translated now, some of your translations don't put it there at all, um, and some of them will put yet, some of them put, put and, there's a variety of different ways. What it is in Hebrew is called a vav. I know, some of you, I'm, you're glassing over, I realize this. <laughs> Hebrew, in, the, in Hebrew, that word means one of three things. It's either a sequence, or a contrast, or a consequence. Typically, I mean, it, it's a conjunction, like an and, or a thus, or a but, or a since. It's one of those. And in Hebrew, unlike in English or Greek, uh, the, the, it's a very flexible word. So here's the thing. Why is it there if it's a title statement? Why is it there if it's a summary statement? Usually it means this happened and then this happened. This happened and then this happened. In the begation, God created everything. Usually not a point in time, but before the start of the story which, as I said a moment ago, fits very well with, with the young earth because the young earth generally says it, what's starting when we go to chapter 2, it, verse 2, is there's this, this mass that God is working with and then he's filling it with land, animals and plants and stuff like that. But the Greek view, which is that there's just, their view was a, a, just a big, God made a big bunch of mud, so to speak. And then he's shaping it and working it. This is why the word bara is in chapter, verse 1. And hasa is in chapter, two, verse 2 and moving forward. God's making stuff. Sort of like the difference between um, creating out of nothing, bara. Hasa is usually the word you would use for like making your bed. Bara, humans are never said to bara. Humans are only asa. They only make stuff. They take stuff that's already existed and they do something with it. That's usually that's what's going on here. So, here's, so here is what he's saying is happening. In chapter, verse 1, God made all things, whether or not this is, this is a point or time or, or, or a long period of time, the text is not saying that. But then from that point forward, you have six literal days in which what he's doing is he's, he's preparing the land for Adam and Eve. Now, I've already, I've already <laughs> tested your patience enough. I'm not going to spend the time trying to argue the point that this is the promised land. If you would like me to do so, let me know after service, and maybe, not, maybe next week I will walk through this. If you're reading the book, this is, this is where the idea of the, of, of the, the promised land is Eden, um, that there's a temple, there's a lot of, a lot of arguments for that case, and what with significant theological points on why that's the case. For example, 
if what God is doing in these chapters, even if it is the young earth version, then, then what that means is you and I were meant to live in the temple of God. That we were created to live in the presence of God. That our fundamental purpose is worship. Which, by the way, is the Westminster Confession. What is the chief end of man? To worship God, glorify God, and enjoy Him forever. And, and that can be got right out of here in Genesis 1 and 2. So, my point though today is this. There's options. Here's mine, but there are others. For some of you, it's, it's young earth. Great. Go for it. If, you, if your understanding of Scripture is that that's right, God bless you. Go for it. If some of you are like, no, 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 no. It has, evolution has to be in there somewhere. There's options for that. My point is, don't let science get in the way of the Bible for you. Because if God is true, if the Bible is true, there's one creator, there can't be a contradiction between the two. Either science is wrong or your understanding of Scripture is wrong. But it's not both. One of the two is wrong. Okay? There's no conflict. There really isn't. There really isn't. Okay? Thank you for your patience on that. Does your head hurt? Does anybody's head hurt after that? Mine does. My head hurt all week. <laughs> As I'm thinking, uh, thinking through this, trying to build a state, take this kind of stuff and go, okay, how do I condense this down to a level that everybody can get? And by the way, there is a, he did write a book called Genesis Unbound. That's, that, that, that that's basically articulates his viewpoint. There's not a lot of footnotes in here. That's because this is the footnotes. <laughs> right? All right. Come talk to me afterwards if you have questions, okay? The main point is there is God. There is a creator. He loves you. He made you. The Bible is true. Trust it. Hold it in high regard because science, if science says the Bible is wrong, then science is wrong. Okay? Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you for your word, for your ability to, to, to teach us the truth. We want to follow you. We want to listen and trust your word and help us to do so. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We can stand as you're able. Um, some of the folks, that was a new song, um, and I just want to explain that Matt Hammett, who wrote that song, wrote that while he was in the hospital, while their baby was um, in ICU for eight weeks, and basically saying, God, if, if my child isn't going to live, then I still give you praise. And that's a circumstance that I think it's, none of us want to imagine, and then to find the strength uh, of faith um, to to praise God in those moments is, is pretty extraordinary. I was thinking this morning as, we're, as I was practicing this song, Fill Me Up, if there was a song that I was going to choose out of all the ones that we do that kind of represents me and my faith, it's this one. It's acknowledging how I fall short and just longing to be
seated. I don't know who, who, who came up with the, main, the phrase, keep, may always keep the main thing the main thing. The death and burial of Jesus is the key thing. There are certain things that you, just, you have to die over, and this is it. But Jesus is not dead but alive, and he has come for you to offer you eternal life. Doesn't matter how far you've run, how big of a deep of a hole you've run in, you've, you've dug for yourself, Come to the table today, trusting that Jesus will never turn you away if you cry out, I need your mercy. Come to the table, putting your faith in Jesus. Come get the elements. And then um, while we're we saying um, peace be with you, and then we'll share them together at the end. We have a whole song. Take your time. If you need to pray, if you need to get right with Jesus, do that. Take the time to confess any sin you have. Confess your faith. And then when you're ready, come forward. We'll, we'll, we'll break the bread together and we'll proclaim our faith as one in Jesus. that he was betrayed Jesus took bread and he said this is my body given for you then he went to the cross and all of our sin was laid upon Jesus and he was crushed for our transgressions bruised for his, our iniquities the judgment that rightly we deserve was totally laid upon him all of the, God's anger was laid upon Jesus all of us, like sheep, have gone astray, but the Lord has laid on him all of our sin. And so now here's the, so after this, he said, here's the cup of the new covenant poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Because Jesus has paid for that sin, he can say, this is the covenant for the forgiveness of sins. That if you come to him in faith, all of your sin is forgiven. That you are right with your creator. And so you have peace. Peace eternally, and you can have peace now, knowing that the one who made you is okay with you. Father God, thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your mercy. We cry out today, God, give us mercy. We need it. Thank you that you meet that, that mercy with lavish grace that unending grace, that where sin increases, your grace, oh, increases all the more. We are yours. In Jesus' name, amen. The body and blood of Christ given for you.
as always, if you have questions about what I've said today, come talk to me. If you would like to talk, have me talk more about the whole temple, Eden, peace, let me know. I don't know if I'll do it next week, but I can make, I can make a sermon on that because that's a whole sermon. Um, but until then, um, I have one last thank you, Jesse. So is it next week? It's next week. Next week is the soup potluck. So next week after church, we're going to have a soup potluck. Bring, bring your best soup, and soup. We'll, uh, we'll try it. We'll, we won't be judgmental, <laughs> but I'm looking forward to trying. It'll be after service. If you don't bring a soup, you can still come. But if you have a great soup, come, and we're going to have a great fellowship time next week. Chili, I guess, counts, right? <laughs> I guess chili counts as a soup. It's a stew. stew. Does stew count? Does a stew count? Then if you can eat it with a spoon. Oatmeal is soup. <laughs> yes. I found a soup I can have for breakfast. Okay, that's next Sunday. But until then, may the peace of Christ be with you. Trust Jesus. Trust his word. God bless. We'll see you guys next week.